0: Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? You are listening to The Big Cruise Podcast. Hello
2: and welcome to episode 42 of The Big Cruise Podcast. My name is Baz, I'm your host, and uh, if you are a new listener, just to explain that uh, the format of this podcast is to be uh, all things positive around the the cruise industry, we generally start off with some maritime history, talking about uh, cruising of years gone by, we then go into the latest cruise news and then sometimes we have special guests, whether that's um, a special guest to answer some of your questions, a particular cruise line or a different part of the, the travel industry to uh, to help give us a little bit of further travel inspiration. And when we can, once again, cruise will be welcoming uh, cruise reviews as well. If you want to get in touch with the show, if you have a burning question, you can do so via our website, thebigcruisepodcast.com. Um, in the top right-hand corner, there is Join the Show. Simply click on that, and that's how you can send your uh, cruise-related questions to us, and either myself, Chris, or one of our other guests will do our best to uh, to answer those for you. Now, today's show is a little bit shorter than usual, but we're going to jump straight into it, and uh, we're going to welcome Chris just after this short break. <music> Did I mention there's a little way you can help keep this uh, podcast on air? That's right. Just for the cost of a coffee, uh, so about four Aussie dollars, about two pounds something, about two euros something. Um, you can make a donation, and that helps uh, keep the lights on and keep the the podcast uh, producing in the, in this weekly format. Um, or you can join up as a member and make a, a monthly uh, subscription, and in return receive some incredible um, bonus material as well. Um, all the details are on the show notes of each and individual podcast, or you can head to uh, the website, buy me a coffee forward slash the big cruise pod. And uh, we look forward to uh, shouting you out if you are able to, uh, to make a little donation. Thanks in advance. Of course, our first guest on the show is always Chris Frame, maritime historian and all things Cruise News. Hey, Chris, how are you doing, mate? Good. Thanks, Baz. Another week. It's Friday again.
1: Yeah, I've been looking forward to uh, chatting with you because the question you left me last week yeah um of course once there's a maritime history question i can't help myself so (laughs) (laughs) so really really keen to get into it
2: okay well let's do so because uh, we had celeste send in that question and from memory i think it was regarding her uncle who had worked on a multi-use ship um she wasn't sure of the name but she believed it was sailing to an island called saint helena which i I have to admit i had to look up i had no idea where this was it's uh, in the south atlantic kind of a third of the way up the east coast of Africa, kind of uh, mm. on the, the border of Angola and Namibia. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, tell us what you know.
1: Yeah, so the ship itself is actually was actually called the RMS Saint Helena. So it was named for the place that it was serving. Um, this this island uh, is a, a British overseas territory. Um, so mm. and it's quite isolated. So you know it you were kind of giving an idea as to where it was geographically, but it's not, it's not close to the, ma- no, no, the mainland. It's-, it's in the middle of the South Atlantic. So um, it's, it's quite an isolated area it's, um, it, and it's had uh, a very long um, history itself. But um, because of this and because of the, the geography there, the, the island was, was served by ships for most of its history um, in more sort of recent time, you can, you can go all the way back to when it was involved with the East India Company and all sorts of other things. But if we, if we look at a more um, sort of contemporary uh, timeline, mm-hmm. uh, it, it was served by the Union Castle line, which was a, um, a shipping line that used to operate between Britain and uh, South Africa predominantly, but they also had other, other services as well. And so they kept it connected with, with both South Africa and also with, with the United Kingdom. Uh, Mm -hmm. But when jet aircraft became um, the dominant form of transportation, Union Castle Line ceased operations uh, and part of it was was, um, uh, some of their ships ended up going across to South Marine, which ended up staying in service uh, a lot longer um, and was predominantly cargo services, but the island itself needed a way to be connected to the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. And at the time, there was no airport and... Mm -hmm. Interestingly enough, there wasn't a seaport big enough to to handle um, passenger ships. But um, not to be uh, sort of dissuaded, <laughs> the this this ship in 1989 was was launched and um, her name was St Helena and she was owned by St Helena Line. So it was specifically put together for this particular um, location. Mm-hmm. And she would sail between, from 1990 onwards, she would sail between uh, Cape Town and St Helena. And the ship itself was a s- about 6,700 tons, so a small ship, Okay, yeah. um, about 105 meters in length. She had the ability to carry one hundred, just over 150 passengers, just over 50 crew, and she also was a combination ship, so she basically undertook um, the, the line voyage, but also... So I guess... In some respects, was a was a was a liner because she was designed um, to do the line voyages. But she was a combination liner, so she had mm-hmm. the passenger complement. She was also a mail ship, hence RMS mm-hmm. Royal Mail mm-hmm. Ship, flagged in the United Kingdom. So even though she never like well, she visited the UK a few times, but she didn't used to operate out of the UK. But she was still um, flagged in in London, and uh, she would also so she carry the mail and she'd also carry the cargo. So she was a vital link. For the island, with the rest mm. of the world, from a a people and a provisions and a mail and a communications point of view, um, and even though she was by cruise ship standards is quite small, um, the island, as I said, didn't have an airport and didn't have a, a, a large seaport. So she, for much of her career, would um, anchor off the coast, and they would use like barges and, and that sort of thing oh, to wow. to <laughs> yeah to bring all the um, uh, all the stuff. Uh, sure. Now, uh, there's not many places in the world that don't have an airport, and uh, this particular um, island, it um, it did eventually get an airport in um, 2016. Uh, the new airport was um, set to open, and um, a an airline from South Africa called Airlink actually operated the first um, the first was going to operate the first services there, mm-hmm. but um, when they were doing the tests on the airport, and I think it actually was a British British Airways, um, an airplane from an airline called Comair, which oh, yeah. is a South African airline, but it's it, it has a um, uh, like a, a branding agreement with British Airways, so the airplanes are covered in British Airways liveries. And if memory serves me correctly, the first airplane to land at the um, at the island was this British Airways um
0: 737
1: but what they found when they were landing is that from certain directions the the wind created wind shear which resulted in um the 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 runway having to be um sort of restricted as to what it could what it could do whilst they worked out a a solution for this so this meant that the that the ship was kept in service for a bit longer um than originally planned because the, the airport was at first not serviceable um the way that they'd hoped it would be, but they eventually managed to to do work, get a workaround. In two thousand, I think it was two thousand seventeen, Airlink started doing these services to right. to Helena. and so the ship itself was um, was withdrawn from service because now it was no longer um, required. But what happened in the interim is that she has since been um, sold and has become a Uh, I guess, support ship um, for the SUV Extreme E races, which is an off-road SUV, electronic SUV racing program. And she operates – she drives the – well, she carries the the vehicles and the equipment and all support stuff to various locations where they're going because she was designed for that sort of long-duration, long-distance voyage. So she still exists um, and and actually, funnily enough – well, her name originally changed, but they've actually put it back to Saint Helena. But she's not an RMS anymore, so yeah. um, so she's still in service and and still has uh, a purpose, which is nice.
2: Fantastic! Oh, great! Hopefully, yeah. uh, Celeste that answers your question for your for your late uncle. Um, I had questions popped into my head. You may or may not know the answer. If you don't, mm-hmm. we can leave it until next week. But how many, or is there many RMS ships still around? I know um, Queen Mary two is technically one, isn't she?
1: Yeah. So. Um, in terms of passenger ships, so, so far as I'm aware, it's now it's just basically Queen Mary 2. Um okay. they, they do carry a, a token bag of mail on board um, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> as part of that. So, and, uh, you know, the ship itself, it flies the, the Royal Mail pennant. Um, what's the interesting as well, though, is that you have Royal Mail ships, but there's, they never really went with the designation of it, but there's Royal Mail airplanes as well. And if you look at the fleet of British Airways, you will see the Royal Mail standard on the fuselage of the British Airways airplanes because the BA flies the mail for the Royal Mail. So, um, I guess that would be RMA, Royal Mail Airplane. <laughs> but, um, you know, the thing is that um, all of the old ocean liners, you hear RMS Titanic, RMS Aquitania, that sort of thing. It's because that they, they were all built off the for shipping lines with these mail contracts, which were so… So lucrative yeah. back in the day, um, and you know, even Queen Mary and Queen Elizabeth, the the original queens, they were RMS. Um, little side note: uh, QE two, which of mm-hmm. course is one of the most famous British ships ever built, was not an RMS, and people don't oh. don't know this. They they often make mistakes with, with the name and call it RMS Queen Elizabeth two. She was, and from 1967 when she. Well, 1969 when she entered service through to um, 1986, she was the SS QE2 steamship. And then after that, she became the TSMV, a twin-screen oh. motor vessel. She was never an RMS. And the reason was is that in the 1960s when they were introducing QE2, Cunard, even though the ship did carry mails, Cunard um, did not want the RMS designation because it sounded too much like the old ships, you know, the old Queens oh, that ships replacing and QE Two was all about being modern and new and vibrant and nineteen sixties and all that sort of stuff. So they never they never adopted the RMS name for the ship. So Queen Mary two um, was sort of taking a step back when into history when she when she became an RMS, but QE two was never.
2: <laughs> wow. Learn something go. new every day.
1: Oh, there you <laughs> There's so many different little paths you can go on with this sort of history stuff. It's difficult to to contain it sometimes.
2: <laughs> well, let's jump straight into uh, to cruise news because we've got some uh, a glimmer of light, a glimmer of hope uh, for the uh, the the cruise and the tourism mm. industry down here in Australia.
1: Yeah. So the tourism minister Baz has been talking on a couple of the Australian Morning uh tv shows i, I, yeah. I understand <laughs> um about the state of the um of the tourism industry of course globally tourism has been you know decimated australia is a country that has has long been sort of very supportive of, of tourism and and there's lots of industry here that's reliant on tourism um, but he was suggesting that um, the expectation is that by 2022 i think it was in the next 12 months they might be able to start welcoming overseas visitors back, which I think is quite um, exciting. And then, of course, on one of those shows, he was pressed about cruising because cruising again in Australia was such a huge part of the tourism um, mm-hmm. experience. And as you know, um, it's been growing over the last 20 years at a rate that we would never seen here before. Um, and I think it, um, he did mention that he, he would be um, confident to book a cruise uh, for the future. And, and I think he even suggested that once he's finished as a... Tourism minister, sometime down down the path uh, down in the future, he would uh, book a cruise himself.
2: <laughs> yeah, he was certainly uh, recommending that people do book a cruise for the future, which is uh, always good news, of course.
1: It's very difficult, you know, like from a public point of view to to um, know when to what date to book. I think there's so much demand for cruising, which is one of the things we've looked at um, yep. on the podcast, Baz. Is that you know they've opened the cruise lines have been smart they've opened up bookings into 2022 and 2023 and in some cases I think even 2024 they're looking at now but um, yep. uh, you know I suppose it's that um, do you book for next year do you book for the year after and, and to hear the, the, um, the head of tourism here sort of give cruising a, a thumbs up was, was quite a you know, I think made a lot of us uh, cruise enthusiasts smile
2: yeah. I know in the, the travel agency that I do work in, 2022 is very, very popular. People are confident to put money down on a deposit for a, mm. a cruise or travel in general for 2022. 21, they're a little bit hesitant, but I think because we're here in Perth, Western Australia, our borders kind of open and close too rapidly that they, they just want to see that the borders are open for a city period before they leave and book maybe even a flight just to Sydney. So, um, but I, I've i got a prediction and uh, I don't know where I've got this from, but uh, since uh, Canada announced that the, the cruise ships were banned for there was no cruising allowed for uh, through till February 2022. If the Alaska season doesn't go ahead for big ship cruising, that gives a potential hope that ships may come down here for our winter because the ships that we share with North America are generally do the Alaska season and then come down here. So if they haven't wow. got an Alaska season. Maybe they'll start earlier here. Who knows? Time will tell.
1: I guess the thing is that the next big indicator for Australian cruising will be what they do with the current, um, what's effectively the cruise ban, I suppose. It's not actually just for cruise ships. It's yeah, the, yeah. the legislation that sort of restricts the border movements and that sort of thing, but it includes, includes cruise ships. And that goes through till the end of March, I think, if I get my dates right. But uh, 17th, um, yeah. 17th, yeah, okay. So we're coming up on that and uh, you know, last time it was just a few weeks before it was due to expire when it was pushed out. So whether or not they push it out and then say, okay, this is the, this is the roadmap back to it or if it's just pushed out to another arbitrary date, they'll give us some indication as to what this year is going to look like anyway.
2: Yeah, I'm feeling quite confident. I'm thinking there's going to be a roadmap um, and I think it's probably going to be the international expedition ships come back first mm-hmm. followed and then you know over time then we, we, we'll bring back the, the bigger ships but uh, well,
1: Baz, your predictions have been pretty good so far so Every <laughs> it's time just you good say, feelings I don't of, know like, anything it's like looking into a crystal ball isn't it <laughs>
2: <laughs> if only I could predict the lotto
1: oh gosh well now the listeners wouldn't like that because you probably would <laughs> give, up, give up everything and just live a life of luxury <laughs>
2: <laughs> buy a cabin on a ship and just live there oh, no no um, no right. <laughs> Now, um, some good news out of Singapore this week for both Royal Caribbean and Dream Cruises.
1: Mm, Yes, well, at least um, from Royal Caribbean's uh, perspective, the the Quantum of the Seas, which has been sailing there, which is one of their quantum class ships, uh, beautiful, big um, floating resorts, basically. Um, They started cruising in, in Singapore, and of course, there was that initial little um, scare where they they had a, I think it was a false positive um, COVID yeah. check, but otherwise you hadn't really heard too much about it um, locally. But it, it turns out it's been very successful because they're now um, going to extend um, their their um, her sailings until June um, of this yeah. year, and I think it's two to four night cruises, uh, which f- I, I'm pretty sure it's still um, yeah. limited to Singaporean residents and and um, cruises out of Singapore back to
2: Singapore. Yeah, that's right, yes. Cruises for, for local Singaporeans only going off the coast, not visiting any destinations, and a whole yeah. plethora of other measures that need to be taken, like the COVID test before, embarkation, et cetera. Mm. But yes, great news for Singapore, and they're really showing the the rest of the world, as is Italy and uh, Taiwan, that uh, cruising can happen, and I think yeah. we uh, we should... Uh,
1: and you said Dream Cruises has got um, some positive news too?
2: Yeah, they've also had their their season extended, so mm. both Dream and Royal... Um, did the initial test phase. Yep. Um, I think Dream Cruises started about two weeks before Royal. Yeah, um, They've both had their their contracts approved by the Singaporean government, and uh, both will be operating right through to the middle of the year on these two- and four-night cruises. And um, there's some incredible videos from, from Dream Cruises, which look very, very positive. It seems that uh, the guests are really, really enjoying the the, the experience. Mm. Now, MSC, which uh, we seem to be, again, speaking quite a lot about just lately, but... Um, um, I'm not sure if I'm in favour of this next bit of news. No, I'm, got, I'm looking uh, at
1: it too with the sort of a raised eyebrow as well. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the first humanoid robotic bartender at sea.
1: Yes, so um, they've named him Rob. I guess it's a play on robotic, <laughs> <laughs> um, and he it. The, 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 the robot <laughs> um, yes. can... Um, I think can, they're
2: calling it E, but with just an E rather than he.
1: Okay, okay. Fair enough. <laughs> um, Rob can uh, uh, speak nine languages and will be installed on the new Virtuosa. Um, yep. And it's all part of this, this uh, I guess, futuristic experience that they're trying to build here because the, the bar itself also has... Um, over thirty hologram environments that you can interact with, and interactive tables. I mean, I don't exactly know how it would work until you're there and experience it for yourself. But you know what, Baz? It's funny what you were saying because I've seen the uh, the robotic arms on um, on Royal yeah. uh, on Royal Caribbean, yeah, on uh, the Quantum class ships. And uh, it was a novelty to watch it the first time, but I personally prefer to go and get a drink from a human where you can have like yep. a bit of an interaction with the person. I think that the human interaction is one of the things that makes the cruise experience what it is. Yeah. Um, yep. But I mean, I'm a bit old fashioned that way perhaps. So um, I think it will definitely turn heads and be something that's interesting for, for people to to experience. And some people probably love it because some people love that, that robotic arm uh, and uh, robotic arms on the quantum class. But, um, personally, I don't know, I, uh, I- Maybe, maybe we can experience it before we, we, we um, cast judgment, <laughs> but uh, I'm not too sure myself.
2: <laughs> yeah, I saw some comments on social media from both uh, passengers or guests and what looked like crew members actually. First of all, the crew was saying, well, does this mean that's the end of my uh, contract? Um, I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon because there's only one Rob at this stage and there's a hell of a lot more ships and bars that uh, will need crew, certainly for the foreseeable future. Um, but uh, even guests were commenting, oh, does that mean I can reduce my gratuities on board because you don't need to pay a ticket to a, to a robot <laughs> <laughs>
1: well here's the thing on, on some of the cruise, cruise lines I mean I noticed when I was on uh, P&O in the, in the UK like mm-hmm. travelling on, on a brand say like um, Cunard for example in the um, in, in the uh, uh, Alfresco restaurant there is uh, sommelier who walk through and offer you to have a drink if you'd like it or, or bartenders who come through and ask if you'd like yep. um, to get something from the bar on P&O, they they do have that, but they've also supplemented it with, um, like for wine, for example, there's a, oh, a yeah, the thing, yeah. wine thing yep. where yeah so you, you swipe your cruise card and you choose which one you want and it and it pours you a drink for you, and yep. there are people who who find that to be um, wonderful because they can just help themselves. And it is an alfresco bar, but there are also people who 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 wouldn't touch that as far as they could throw it, and they speak to the humans. So I guess there's yeah. – there's I don't think that – I mean, if cruising goes the way of like no human contact, then I think you're going to lose a huge amount of what the cruise experience is. So uh, I yeah. don't think that it's going to be a, a, like a game changer in terms of like um, – you know coal-fired engines to to oil for example <laughs> or lng you know that kind of that kind of step change but i do think it's like more of a an experience or um you know like a wave rider but <laughs> yeah, yeah but inside, no, exactly. you know, it's like something else for you to do
2: yeah no, it's a bit of a gimmick and like you say it's all about the the human interaction on it and the, the service levels that cruising has always been been known for of course mm. um now, Saga, who we know have got two new ocean ships. They've just laid hmm. the keel for a riverboat.
1: Yeah, another one too, actually. They've got two new ocean ships and then they've got a, a riverboat which is already um, well on the way and another one just being laid down. So um, it's going to be called the Spirit of, of Danube. She's a 190-passenger river cruise ship. She's being built in Serbia. Um Ooh which again is not not a place where you usually think of um, shipbuilding but um they they're building river river uh, ships there which is nice and um, her sister ship will be the spirit of rhine so they'll be the two of them um and again this sort of like i mean we were speaking about vikings new orders um yep. last week so there's a lot of uh uh confidence i think in in the cruising rebound but particularly in river cruising
2: Yeah. I'm wondering if there's going to be more ocean uh, cruise lines looking a little bit closer at river. Mm. Of course, P&O UK had river cruise operations with their OSA for for some period of time, but that was sold off. Mm -hmm. Um, And now we see 2E in the UK. They've also gone back into the river cruise market, which they haven't been in for for a long, long time. So Mm. who knows what's going to happen?
1: Yeah, for sure. And I mean, that's just it. Like uh, before the I guess at the turn of the uh, of the century, there was uh, more cruise line families, I suppose, before there was a kind of an amalgamation of some of them. And quite mm-hmm. a few, like as you say, would have smaller um, divisions like Arosa, for example, which, which it is still but was at the time a river cruising um, uh, brand, but e- even tried its hand at ocean cruising with uh, Arosa Blue, which was actually ended oh, up yeah, being Pacific Jewel. Um, yeah. 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 And, and and actually ended up um that ship was actually transferred across to Aida which was part of um part of P&O at the time as well so yeah. um uh interestingly enough yeah they they stuck with river cruising so perhaps there's something in that
2: <laughs> time will tell mm. And uh, in the expedition market, uh, Swan Hellenic, which is an iconic brand of yesteryear that we've spoken about before, has uh, been reborn. Mm-hmm. It's got a new life. Its uh, first ship has already been built, but they've just laid the keel on the second.
1: Yes, named the Vega. Um, she is another. I think it's the second of three that are planned with yeah. ice-rated um, ships with these hulls that can can go into sort of like icy waters, um, about 10,000 tonnes and 113 metres long. She'll carry, um, I think it's 150 passengers. And yep. um, she actually shares her name with the the first ship to navigate the Northwest Passage. So that's where the name comes from.
2: Oh, okay. um,
1: and the vessel itself has an um, interesting power plant. It's like a, a hybrid system. So it's the hybrid diesel engines. Um, to try and reduce the environmental footprint there, so that has got the, the the hybrid technology built into it.
2: Oh, similar to what Hurtigruten have done with their new ships, then because they've got the, the hybrid uh, mm. battery model as well, haven't they?
1: Yeah, it's, it's good to see actually that there's these um, uh, alternate uh, you know sources of power being utilised through from LNG to to batteries, and and also more and more sh- ships that are being built that can connect to shoreside power when they're in in port. Um, because I know like, you know, living in Australia, we, we, you, periodically you would see reports from say residents in, in Sydney where they um, yeah. can smell the cruise ships, um, uh, diesel emissions and stuff. So if they're able to start um, making it so they can connect to the grid and as the grids yep. become more and more green, um, then the, the cruise ships themselves become more and more green.
2: Yeah, no, I have to laugh every time I go down to Fremantle Port. Which I mean, this is not very often, but in a previous life, it did pop down every now and again. Um, and uh, you, you know, you'd see a, a cruise ship in dock, and their smokestack would be minimal. But then you'd see the cargo ships mm-hmm. on the other side of the port pumping out, you know, thick mm. black emissions, and nothing said about them. It's it's always pointed yeah. at the, the the cruise industry when in fact it's actually the uh, the bigger part of uh, the maritime uh, sector that uh, maybe. Yeah. Should have a point. I
1: mean, print it's print. Not, there's 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 um, thousands and thousands of merchant ships and yep. 300 cruise ships. So, yeah. uh, I believe that the cruise industry needs to continue to work to become greener. Absolutely, yep. but so does the rest of the industry too. And yep. so, the focus should definitely be on the whole the whole shipping industry rather than just just pinpointed on cruising. Not, yep. not to say that the cruise line shouldn't continue what they're doing, absolutely. And they, oh, no, absolutely. You know, Everybody should try that, and do better. Yeah. yeah, and with the way that um, things are going with climate change, probably need to pick up the pace, but I think that the, the rest of the industry needs to definitely do the same.
2: Yeah. Um, I didn't put it in the show notes because I only read it literally just before we were uh, coming on air to, to record this, but I just read this morning that... Um, both Royal Caribbean uh, family and the Norwegian family mm. how both um, looking at vaccinating all crew prior to the, the start up, which is uh, interesting.
1: Yeah, well, that I mean, again, that does make sense, and particularly when it comes to um, you know the way that a lot of uh, countries exit strategies out of these restrictions seem to be going. Mm. Um, it you know I, I guess that that stands to reason, and even some airlines now, as you probably have have seen Yeah, it they, had, I've already done it yeah yeah they're going to uh, vaccinate crew or you're going to have to be vaccinated to board the aircraft if you're doing overseas flying and stuff like that so yep. um, definitely seems like the 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 vaccine is the way out of this yeah
2: now uh, that's all we've got for cruising news this week but I'm sure you've got a, a video about to hit out on socials at some point over the the next week uh, what are we talking about in the next video chris
1: we're taking a look at the the um i guess it there's so much reporting at the moment about what's happening with the, the ships being retired and the, I guess, endless parade of passenger ships that seem to be going to the breakers' yards that it's actually creating sort of like a sense of, I don't know, sensationalism and panic, I guess, amongst <laughs> people. Um, and so I looked at it and I, I, I did some um, calculations and it's like 90, just under 95% of passenger ships that or well, cruise ships that existed pre-COVID still exists now. So it's like yep. not like the whole industry has just disappeared. Um, and so I'm just taking a look at like what's happening now but also looking back at some of the points in history where m- many more passenger ships were scrapped in, in a big group like during the Great yep. Depression or when the jet aircraft first came in. And then I guess just making the point that, um, that the industry adapted and changed and then survived th- those past um, experiences. So that should be out next week.
2: Oh, brilliant. Well, uh, as always, the link to your YouTube channel is in the show notes. And um, just a reminder, if any of the listeners do have a question, uh, send it through. Join onto to our website, thebigcruisepodcast.com. In the top right-hand corner, click on Join the Show, and that's where you can enter your question. Um, or if you do want to share an experience on a cruise ship, you can, of course, leave us a cruise review as well.
1: You know what, Baz? One of the things that I was thinking – and. Yep. Again, if this is something I have not mentioned to Baz before, just <laughs> learning it out now, so he, he feel free to cut it out if you if you need to. But um, uh, when I do the talks and lectures, I get a lot of. Uh, well, back in the day when you could still do, still do talks and lectures, <laughs> I, I used to get a lot of people who would share experiences of their life or um, traveling on the old ships. You know, the, the contrast where you would look at. Um, the line voyages yeah. and being on the old ships like the Canberra and the Oriana and that sort of thing. And I was just wondering with our, with our listeners, if there, if there was anyone who was um, wanting to share one of those stories, they might like to do like a cruise review, but from the perspective of a historic. Um, yeah, review, no, that sounds excellent. Which I thought would be quite, quite cool because I know that there's lots of people who are interested in passenger ships who who cruise now, but their interest was sparked on those old liners or working on the old liners or, you know, traveling or, uh, with P and O or Orient Line, that sort of thing. So, just just an idea, just a thought.
2: Yeah, no, I love it. An excellent idea. And um, back in the day when I used to work on travel expos and you know talk about cruising and cruise brands, a lot of people used to come up and say, "Oh, I immigrated to Australia mm. on the whatever ship." Um, and so there is a hell of a lot of people, not only here in Australia but all over the world, that mm. did find a new life uh, yep. in a different place That's by it. traveling by ship.
1: And I remember, you know, you and I first met doing presentations for uh, Retirement Village about yeah, yeah. about cruising and history of cruising and 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 even there we, i think we did four or five of them and yep. um there was there were so many people who were interested in hearing what's happening now but then wanted to share their stories in the in the sort of q a afterwards about um about moving here on the fair star or sailing um on you know southern cross line or um traveling down to south africa on the union castle ship so um, if people have some memories, you know, it's hard to do yeah. cruise reviews now because the industry is being closed down. But if you've got something that's sort of more historic, and I guess historic can be anything prior to COVID, um, <laughs> that would be great to hear from you because that was a great part of the show last year.
2: Yeah, and don't don't worry about technology. How we record a cruise review is very, very simple. All you need is a computer um, and an internet connection. And if you're listening to a podcast, chances are you've probably got one of those already. Mm. Chris, great idea. Love it. Um, Let's see what comes in over the website uh, in the next week or so. And um, you enjoy the weekend and we'll speak to you the same time next week. Sounds good. See you then. well that is almost it for today's episode Uh, we hope you've enjoyed it and if you do like what you're listening to we can kindly ask a little favor if you can do one of the following things we'd really appreciate it first of all uh, wherever you listen to your podcast if you want to leave a review that would be greatly appreciated secondly if you know anybody uh, that you think would like this podcast please share it with them if you can think of two people even better and why not get in touch and let us know what you think of the podcast you can do that via social media or of course via the website but until next week Stay safe.
0: That's all for today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Until next time, bon voyage.